this uh, afternoon I was listening to, I think it was the radio, a podcast, I don't remember, and they were talking about that game you probably play as a kid, like, if you could be king for a day, what would you do, right? Like, oh, I would do this, I would do this. Uh, you, I think it would probably be strange if you were asked, if you could be a criminal for a day, what would you do, right? It'd be a very odd thing to play. Uh, we often wish we could have uh, lives of more comfortableness or just more wealth or a bigger house or bigger retirement. We envy those lives, but it would be very odd if someone said they desire to be somebody on death row. We'd maybe think, maybe you should be in some kind of an asylum for wanting to be on death row, right? Being Desiring that kind of life is not right, right? Or someone maybe who is in great suffering or desiring to be the person who would be bound to a bed or, or, or stuck in prison for the rest of their life. That'd be an odd thing to envy. And yet, here, I think if you read this text rightly and you understand what's happening, uh, that I think as a Christian, you envy this thief. I know that in a sense, man, I envy this thief for what he gets to see and hear and be around. I mean, consider this poor criminal heard from the, the golden mouth of Christ. He heard the beautiful words of pardon that we don't, we've not heard in a way that he has, right? Consider the things that he heard are vastly different than the things that Abraham saw and Abraham heard. This thief saw more and heard more than David and Moses ever did. And he honestly saw and was closer to Jesus in different ways than the apostles. He actually has similar interaction, right? They spoke to Jesus. He spoke to Jesus. Uh, Christians after them saw Jesus. Well, he saw Jesus, but why a criminal? Why not somebody else? But maybe you think about this and it's very strange. This is the most important night in history, and yet Jesus decides to share it with one of the most undeserving men in the world. Now, this criminal was appointed to speak with his creator. I mean, he's speaking to the potter as he's the pot, right? And this is a huge day. Uh, there are a couple of things. Last year, the year before, um, I read a, a commentary about the Gospel of Mark. It's very short. Each chapter is like two pages. It's meant to be read aloud with family. It's very easy to read. It's by a guy named J.C. Ryle, and he wrote a something that's, that's, that has bothered me in a good way for the longest since then. I think about it kind of almost on a regular basis. In Mark chapter 2, if you recall, uh, the man that was lowered through the ceiling tile that was paralyzed that Jesus healed, right? And his sins are forgiven. And J.C. Ryle, in the commentary, he writes this. It's like a little devotional. Here's what it says. Who can doubt that to, to the end of his days, this man would thank God for his palsy? Without it, he might probably have lived and died in ignorance and never seen Christ at all. Without it, he might have been brought to Christ and never heard these blessed words, Thy sins are forgiven you. So tonight I want to unpack... A similar idea that there's this strange me between a, a death row criminal and Jesus that I think is of great value for us to think about and say, man, that's what a what a lucky thief almost. Well, I envy him in a sense, and yet you can have the same assurance of pardon. So Luke's going to show us very quickly and simply here three angles uh, of this of what happens here: the Christ, the thief, and the promise. So very simple. Uh, first, the the nature of Christ. The first thing, look at verse 43. We're going to just kind of cut it in three pieces, but very, very simply. Uh, verse 43, and he said to him, so who's the he? Well, all that, that would, be, would be Jesus, right? He's the he. He's the Christ, uh, the Messiah. This is the eternal son of God, right? Uh, there is 
a lot of weight and glory bound up in this, these two letters, he, right? It's Jesus. It's something that we can't even plumb the depths of by who he is. Jesus Christ is God. He sustains the word by, or he sustains the world by the breath of his mouth. He gives breath to all creatures, all things. He governs all history. He's the author of history. He's the maker of heaven and earth. This is the one that angels worship and marvel at, right? This is who that he is. He commands the waves. He heals diseases. He frightens and overpowers demons and dark forces. His wisdom is incomparable. His power is boundless. His rule extends. I mean, this is that he. This is a big he, right? It's capital he. He has life in, in himself. He doesn't take life from people. He gives life to people. He has all power. He can do all things. All things are his servants. Uh, he's, the one that, he's the one that Isaiah saw in Isaiah 6.3 when he looked at him and said, holy, holy, holy. Well, that's, that's who Christ is, right? But here we don't see that. We see a man despised, rejected, as we read from Isaiah 53, just shamed, right? Despised and rejected by men. Hanging in weakness. I mean, he's, he's like just a piece of meat, just nailed to a piece of wood, right? There's nothing beautiful about this. So why is Jesus hanging here like a criminal? How did an almighty God, the almighty God, get strung up to a cross in shame? Remember that though he is nailed and suffering, as Christians, we believe that this is actually the greatness of Christ, right? His shame is actually his strength. This is, this is him in prime view for us to see. If you look at your Bibles, if you just turn even probably a page over to Luke twenty-two thirty-seven, you'll see that Luke cites something for us. That's a familiar passage. Luke 22, verse 37, Jesus says this, For I tell you that the scripture must be fulfilled in me. And Jesus quotes this, And he was numbered with the transgressors. Now that's from Isaiah 53, verse 12. So Jesus knows that's me in Isaiah 53, and I have to fulfill it. I have to, right? It's going to happen. So this is, this is the plan from eternity, that Jesus would suffer and die. It's by God's sovereign hand, right? Isaiah 53, 10 says that it was the will of the Lord to crush him. So this is God's desire, God's pleasure, God's will to do this. Jesus came to bear the wrath of God for the many who would trust him. So friends, we must think that this cross is actually Jesus' throne. He's actually reigning by being on the cross. His suffering is his strength. His weakness is his glory. So don't be mistaken. He truly is suffering, but his suffering is his triumph. I mean, you guys know this. The, the Christian life is so upside down. It's so backwards, right? That when Jesus is suffering, this is, this is actually the most powerful thing we're watching, right? That the ones who look really strong are actually the weak ones. And this is what... Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, for the, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So the power of the cross is a slain Christ. So brothers, I want you to be refreshed this morning that though Jesus was here unjustly, he got there by evil men doing evil things, right? With sinful intentions, though that happened, Jesus reigned and is reigning over and through this evil. He, he willed to be there. He's there because he chose to be there, not because they chose first, right? And he does so over your life too. He reigns over the evil in your life as well. If you know much about the New Testament, you know that Luke wrote 
two books. He wrote Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. So that's Luke part two. And in the book of Acts, verse Acts chapter 4, verse 27 and 28, the apostles pray this. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So this is just reminding us simply that though these men did evil things, this is Jesus reigning over. He, they're doing exactly what he wanted, right? This, this is predestined. This is Jesus saying, yep, I'm actually sovereign over this too. So friends, we, we should rest that this is the only reason why Good Friday is actually good because this is complete control, right? And he's, as God, he's our creator. He rules over us. He rules even over this. Secondly, I want you to see the nature of the thief. So, and he, right, back to Luke, he said to him, well, who's the him? Again, we need to, it is the thief, but let's do a little background work on who the thief is. He's the criminal on the cross next to him. Remember that there are two criminals, as you probably remember, one on the, our Lord's left and one on his right. If you look at Verse 32 in the same chapter of Luke 23, we get a little bit of information about this thief, about who he is, about these criminals up there. And this is what Luke writes for us, starting in verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away and put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they were they, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. So very simply, that's... There's two there. Jesus is in the middle, and they're both right near him, right? Uh, we actually learn in Matthew 27 that they are thieves. He, Luke doesn't say they're thieves, but we know they're thieves because Matthew tells us in chapter 27 they are thieves. Thus, both men are condemned criminals. It is death penalty if you're stealing from uh, under Roman rule. Typically, I read that if you were caught, they just have you killed. Well, you'd be killed by the person you stole from. But they got caught and lied about it. Most likely, that's why they're being sentenced to the death penalty. And look at verse 41, this, they recognize this, that they are, they are here justly. They are receiving the due reward. So they know we are caught, we are guilty. We know we're here by, de we're dead to rights guilty. We know for a fact we should be here. Their condemnation is just, right? They deserve to be on the cross. Their life of sin has resulted in their death under the law, and they will then step into eternity, right? But what's more serious about sinning against the Roman government is, of course, sinning against God. That's why this is so serious. It's not just that they got caught by uh, Caesar or by the Romans, but that they sin against God. Right? That's what's higher than anything. Right? The wages of sin is death, not just physical, but also eternal, spiritual death. <clears throat> and all of us here in this room um, are equally as guilty as these two men, Right? Under God's judgment, one glimpse at God's law, and we soon discover that we all are wearing orange jumpsuits. We are all going to the same gallows, should be in the same prison, just as guilty as criminals, not any better. We're guilty of more crimes than we know of against the Almighty. And here there are two thieves, both sinful, both fallen, both criminals, both hard hearts, both suffering. And yet, if you notice, both of them have a chance to speak to Jesus. Let's look at verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, 
Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, or of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So I want to just make sure we're on the same page here. Both criminals, both sinful and lost, both undeserving, both spiritually blind according to the Bible, both hostile to God. And yet consider how kind God is to put two criminals about to step into eternity next to Jesus. Even their dying hours are, God's merciful, even to death, to to unbelievers. So lest we, again, lest we doubt that God has great mercy, consider that these men saw and heard things that David and Isaiah did not see and hear the way they do. Who are these men that they would hear rather than Abraham hearing this, or rather than Isaiah or Jeremiah, these men here, really, that's not fair to see him like this. And yet, friends, as Christians, we know that in Christ, we actually have more than the prophets ever had. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19 says, we have a more sure word than the prophets. So though we wish, man, I, w- I wish I could hear Jesus just speak. The Bible says you actually do. It's, it's the Bible in your lap. You have a more sure word than what those men heard. We can remember here that God is patient. He is kind with unbelievers even until death. He constantly showers grace and unmerited favor upon all men. Consider how many churches are on every corner, especially in Missouri, <laughs> that unbelievers see every day. Or how many Bibles they see. I think I, I just saw a Bible the other day, and I think Walmart I even saw Bibles. I know at least Price Chopper does. I see him there. Unbelievers see Bibles every day that a lot of people across the world don't ever see. They maybe have Christian neighbors or Christians nearby. That's a lot of mercy that God shows to unbelievers every day. Years ago, there was a man named Lester Ezel on death row for murder in Florida. And hearing of his conviction, his former Sunday school teacher drove 750 miles to visit him because he knew he was done for. Lester, the man on death row, said this, You don't give up, do you? (laughs) Curtis, who is a Sunday school teacher, he spoke the gospel to him again as he's done numerous, numerous times. Uh, He left him a Bible, and as he would find out before, uh, before more things took place, that this man actually read the Bible, got converted, and led multiple men in his jail cell to Christ. So even Jesus' love for sinners, even to their dying hours, just like that man on death row, just like these criminals... He just, he's good to all people, regardless of who they are. Because he came to seek sinners, right? He came to call not the righteous, but sinners. Jesus called it friend of sinners because he loves them. He's kind towards them. But I do want to ask you a question to make sure that we're thinking about this correctly, uh, that I think should really shake you at your core and make you think about why uh, I was rereading this story just thinking, man, this is, this is, it should be more stunning to me than it is. So I want to ask you a question. I, I want you to think with me together. What do you think made the difference between the thieves? So remember, both criminals. Yes. Both fallen, depraved, don't know God. Right? They're both within probably, probably the same distance. Both see Jesus. One rails at him and the other doesn't do that. 
Both have the same sinful nature. Both respond, yet they, they each respond differently. Maybe frame it a different way. Why did you respond the way to Christ that other people did not? I think all of us maybe have unbelieving friends and family that hear the same gospel, went to the same church, went to the same school, live in the same town, have a Bible in their house, and they respond differently than I have. Brothers, I'm concerned that as Christians, we have a lot of emphasis and authority on our fallen will and our deceitful heart to say, yeah, I, well, it's because I figured it out. Rather, we should merit all of this to God's free grace. It is nothing in me that decisively made the difference. I didn't figure it out. The thief on the other side didn't figure it out faster. They're both fallen. It was God's mercy that made the difference. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Uh, Randy Alcorn wrote a, a, a book regarding this topic, and he said this. The hardest part about grace, swallowing our pride and saying, I don't deserve this any more than that criminal does. Friends, that's grace, isn't it? That God showed special grace to you that you see Christ better than, or rightly than unbelievers do, that you should be just like the other one, suffering and dying without knowing Christ. I hope that creates worship and thankfulness in your heart as it, this week, it's, it's, I mean, just, it's torn me. I should be just like the other one. <laughs> I am the other one apart from Christ. Lastly, number three, the nature of the promise. So the nature of Christ, the nature of the criminal, the nature of the promise. I'm going to tell you two things about this. First thing, look at the assurance. Look at verse 43. And he said to him, truly, I say to you. If if you're familiar with the New Testament, maybe like the Sermon on the Mount or just your Bible in general, you... You hear Jesus say a lot of times the word truly, right? He says truly a lot, as a matter of fact. Uh, it's over 80 times that Jesus says the word truly. It actually comes from a Greek word. The Greek word is amen. Sound familiar? We say it in English, amen, right? Amen means truly, let it be, most assuredly. So when you pray, you're saying, Lord, let that be. Please let that be. It's like you're praying. So Jesus tells us men, Amen, I say to you. Truly, I say to you. Let it be, I say to you. So Jesus is giving the man assurance right on the spot. There's no better place than to hear the power of assuring words than this time. If you're that thief, wouldn't you be thinking, man, I could use anything good right now. Any kind of good news would be great right about now. This thief received abundant grace in his dying moments. And for me, maybe it's this way for you, it is often that the words of Christ like this are more precious to me in times when I am suffering or sad or sorrowful that the words that I know, I've read many times, that when there's dark clouds, man, they just, they ring much deeper. Those words make a lot more sense now. So by God's grace, may we daily recognize our need for Christ. That's what suffering does. It draws out. I really do need him all the time, right? 
And the good news is there's more assurance in one iota, which is the smallest letter, like a little comma above or a little dot above the I. There's more assurance in one iota of Jesus' words than all of the little sentiments on earth we can hear and receive. We can't be sure about many things in life, but Jesus assures us that his word will never fail. Because John 6 says he has the words of eternal life. So your sins as a Christian truly are forgiven by the work of Christ. You truly have eternal life. Any sinner truly can find satisfaction in Christ. And why is that? Do you know who the great amen of the Bible is? It's a good time to use your Sunday school answer. Jesus? That's right. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says this. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. So Jesus is the amen of all God's promises. He's the surely, He's the truly. Everything you read in the Word because of this Good Friday is true. Because Christ bought it for you, all the promises so by faith then, friends, when you doubt, like I do, when bad things happen, I doubt. Man, I know he's good, but what's going on here? I trust him, but right now I'm 94%, maybe a little less than that. By faith, we need to shatter our doubts and our worries upon this anvil of Christ's word, that it is rock steady, just shatter it on there. What I'm feeling is wrong, what he says is right, break it on that. Thomas Brooks said this, that assurance makes heavy afflictions light, long afflictions short, and bitter afflictions sweet. Apart from Christ, we have no hope past the grave, right? This is it. Reconcile God to man. Second thing, look at Jesus' authority in verse 43 again. So, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So Jesus is not hope or wish or give good vibes, right? Optimistic thoughts, good feelings. Hey, I'm trying to give you good feelings here, right? Uh, Jesus states it with authority, right? He says, you will be with me. Truly, you will be with me because he can say that. Mark chapter two, Jesus says that he has authority on earth to forgive sins. This is what Good Friday is all about. On that day, a sinful death row criminal was promised eternal life by Jesus hanging on a cross because of the authority of Christ, right? Jesus can promise paradise because he bore the punishment for all sinners who would run to him for repentance and faith. Jesus suffered the wrath of God for sin and sinners. As we read when Jesus quoted Isaiah 53, we read that Jesus was numbered with the transgression. He was counted as a sinner. When Jesus was on the cross, he was not a sinner, right? Jesus was perfect, but God counted him or reckoned or credited to Jesus sin as a sinner, as a substitute in, in the place of people like me who would trust him, people like you who would trust him. And his simple look, look at verse 41 to 42. And we are here indeed justly, for we are receiving a reward. So he's recognizing, I am sinful and broken, but he's done nothing wrong. Lord, remember when you come to your kingdom, think about me when you go, Right? That's an acknowledging of his sinful state. That's denying of self. That's turning from self. I deserve to be here. He doesn't. Would you please remember me? Because I got no other shot. 
That's repentance and faith, it looks like to me. So simply just looking to Jesus, right? This man, I've, I've seen these posts go around, and I love these posts. The thief was never baptized, never joined a church. He, he knew basically nothing, but he knew, if I look to Christ, I, I can be forgiven. Just simple faith, right? It's turning from your sin and saying, I'm going to trust him. Romans 5, 1 says that with faith we have peace with God. We are justified, we have peace with God. Or simply John 3, 16, if we believe upon Christ, we have everlasting life. This is what the thief did. Because Jesus suffered and died, God's judgment as a righteous, sinless substitute, all of us who are unrighteous and sinful are credited with Jesus' work and removed from God's wrath. It is not then great works or skill. It is not great morality or that I'm better than other people or not as bad as this person. Uh, if you're like me, you, you, you like to think of a list of things you haven't done. Well, I'm not as bad as that guy. Or things you have done. Well, I'm more obedient than so-and-so. Those things don't make it right with God. Rather, it's those who look to Jesus, repent and trust Christ, and Jesus forgives them of all their sins, no matter how dark and gloomy they are. So though a condemned criminal, he's now a child of God. What a turnaround, right? It's amazing. And all because Jesus suffered on the cross. Do you not think then that this criminal blessed God for his suffering? Don't you think in heaven he's going to praise God? Praise God I got caught. Thank you, God, for me dying a death penalty. I think he will. I think he is. Right? Because of his pain, he knew Christ. Though painful, this was the best day of his life. The last couple hours were the most painful days, but the deepest joys. Pain was God's instrument for him to praise God. So I don't know if you're going through anything difficult or heart-wrenching or sorrowful or suffering, but if that was meant for good things, for him to exalt in God, to trust God, friends, your pain you have now, your suffering, it is God's means that you would draw to Christ. It's on purpose. He's not just missing the boat. He's doing this for your good. Christ draws near to us because he suffered. He knows what suffering's like. You could say that God sent the thief to the cross so that he would meet Jesus. That's why he sends pain to us, so we come to Christ more. I want to close with, with a brief story here. Uh, the hymn writer Fanny Crosby, who's written over 9,000 hymns. I can't even fathom how, many, how you have a, to write that many. I could write maybe like a, a stanza, right? 9,000 hymns. Uh, after six weeks of age as a baby, she had an infection uh, that made her blind. So she was not blind from birth, but very quickly after. And once a well-meaning preacher, as we all attempt to be well-meaning, we blow it, <laughs> said this, I think it's a great pity that the master did not give you sight when he showered so many other gifts upon you. And Fanny Crosby said this, Do you know that if at birth... I have been able to make one petition. It would have been that I was born blind. Because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. Praise God for suffering. 
in suffering. The thief would praise God for his cross, even his death. He, having Christ, is what makes paradise paradise. He's our treasure. He's our joy. He's our all in all. So though we, we can envy the thief in this way, in Christ, by his spirit, through the word, we have, a, as I said, a more sure word. You can hear Jesus speak just by reading the word. That's how he speaks to us. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. It is not thy hold on Christ that saves you. It is Christ. It is not thy joy in Christ that saves thee. It is Christ. It is not even thy faith in Christ, though that be the instrument. It is Christ's blood and merit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Good Friday. Father, thank you that Jesus bore our shame.